0: everybody welcome to listen money matters it's better to be lucky than good but the better you are the luckier you get my name is matt and i'm here as always with andrew andrew how are you and what are you drinking <laughs>
1: you know it was like a ho-hum day but i made you do that opening like three times so <sighs> better much better oh great um so you're lucky drinking- <laughs> that's right I'm drinking a uh, a single cut flatter it's an ipa yeah a lot of
0: single cut huh must be a yeah. thing out there yeah, they're all over here. Yeah, okay. They
1: have a cool label. What about mm-hmm. you,
0: dude? I'm drinking a knotted root brewing company. It's called Blue Light Rain Unfiltered German Pilsner. And on the, the can, which is kind of like homemade, it's a picture of David Hasselhoff. <laughs> I guess because of an unfiltered German Pilsner. I don't know. He's a. Oh,
1: hipsters a, 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 in Colorado.
0: A, yeah. So, yeah, uh, delicious. Um, okay. Our catchphrase today came from Derek, which is, it's better to be lucky than good, but the better you are, the luckier you get. Uh, Thank you, Derek, for that catchphrase. And today, I know a lot of people have been asking about this. We are going to discuss the whole inverted yield curve thing. And on the show, we have a returning champion to help us understand what it is and what we can do about it. And he has one of our favorite podcasts all about personal finance and economics called Money for the Rest of Us and moneyfortherestofus.com. Plus, he's coming out with a book called Money for the Rest of Us. Jay David Stein, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. So you got a book coming out. I do. It, uh, the awesome. subtitle,
2: subtitle is 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing. So it's all about how to
0: invest and figuring out what to invest in. Sweet. And we are going to be talking about what to invest in with this whole, we're really going to need help with this inverted yield curve thing. That's a thing, right? Um, So I'm just, I mean, this sounds like a dumb question, but I really need to know is like, what is a bond like at the basic level? All right. Well, a bond is a debt instrument.
2: So when you buy a treasury bond, a US treasury bond, you're lending the US government money they will pay you interest on that every six months, and when the bond matures, they will return your principal. So that that's what a bond is. Now, most people don't go directly to the government and buy a bond. They might be buying a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund that owns a bunch of bonds. Okay. the The biggest issue with bonds, which is why it matters, what is what's the yield, and so what's your cash flow? Uh-huh. And so, if you're buying a bond that has a cash flow at two percent in terms of the yield, that's the first thing. The second, you want to understand how sensitive it is to changes in interest rates. Because I had a, a finance professor. That's probably the only thing I remember in college. He would get up. I think he wore a costume, and he he would clap his hand. <laughs> and says, "When interest rates go up, bonds prices go down." And he looks stupid. But you know, here it is. Whatever. Thirty <laughs> years later, I remember. But they fluctuate because here's the thing: the government's always issuing new bonds. So let's say that you bought a bond that had a two percent interest rate. That's what your invest your interest payment is. And let's say interest rates are three percent. Well, if interest if the government's issuing new bonds at three percent and you own a two percent bond, the price of your bond's going to fall to such an extent that you're earning three percent on that bond. Because who's going to want your two percent bond? When they can buy a new one earning three percent right so there's there is so as interest rates change the value of these bonds change and the way that the math works because bonds is investing it's all math the longer the maturity the more sensitive it is to interest rate and the term they use for that's known as the duration and and so whenever you're investing in bond you want to say well what's the yield how much am i getting paid and how likely is it to fluctuate and to, because of the interest rate? So thirty-year bonds right now they're up 20, 20, 20 to twenty-five percent this year, because rates have fallen, the value has has skyrocketed, whereas if you bought an ultra short-term bond, you basically just earned the cash, the two two percent.
1: So, what what I'm kind of confused about is when when you have a bond that's like two or three percent, like why would anyone invest in that? That sounds pretty terrible. Well,
2: you do it for a couple of reasons. One, some people are saving for a house or something. Mm-hmm. It's their emergency fund. They don't want to to put it all in the stock market. So there's, there's the optionality of owning bonds. The fact that, well, I'm saving this for a rainy day or a house, or I just want to keep some money aside for when the stock market tanks and I can go in and buy stocks when they're cheap. And so, I mean... There are other ways to invest in bonds. You know, in an ideal environment, you've got more than that, but people own bonds for the income, and that's why I own bonds. The other reason people own bonds is because they want to speculate in interest rates. They, they assume or they believe rates are going to fall, and they made more in bonds this year than you made in the stock market if you bought long-term bonds, and there's people that will invest in that way, hoping rates will fall, and then they pick up the capital appreciation.
1: So- most of the time when there's like a discussion about bonds it's usually this like counterbalance to stocks mm-hmm. it's like you you have stocks but you have bonds because i don't know they're like the opposite of stocks
0: they're safer I quote unquote
1: right could could you maybe like elaborate on like that or why that is you know like why wouldn't you just be all bonds or all stock
2: well there's two ways to approach it so if you invest like i do you just want the stability of the income, you're earning two to 3%. I mean, just a portion of your retirement savings or whatever. super low risk. Super low risk, right? That's the primary reason you own bonds. But there is this school of thought. In fact, you guys did an episode on it. I think you called it the the butterfly portfolio. Didn't you do an episode on that?
1: Golden butterfly. The golden
2: butterfly. I should know that. The golden butterfly. (laughs) But in that portfolio, they own very long-term bonds because they're as volatile as stocks. And that's the whole idea. Most, most investors, most of the volatility, the ups and down in the portfolio is driven by the stock market. But if you add gold and you add long-term bonds, then suddenly, you know, just like long-term bonds returned 20% this year, had rates gone the other way, they would have fallen 20%. And so because you have more volatile asset classes in your portfolio, they can tend to offset each other because they perform differently under different economic regimes.
1: So you're saying it's it's often like a counterbalance to stocks, like the long-term bonds. When stocks are going up, that might be going down, and, and right. vice versa.
2: Right, and that's why people do that. But I, I don't I would rather what I look at is what income am I getting? Mm-hmm. So right now, if you buy a thirty-year bond, you're going to earn, putting interest rates aside, two percent. And if you buy a thirty-day Treasury bill, you're going to earn two percent or two point four. And so 2%. there's really no a <laughs> year. Yeah, about a year. Okay. Because, because here, here's here's a secret or a rule of thumb for investing in bonds. I mean, if you go on, like, if you want to buy a Vanguard exchange traded fund or if, like the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund, you go on Morningstar. You go on their website, and they have a statistic called the SEC yield, and it's a number. So right now, the SEC yield of the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund is two point one percent. And a rule of thumb is if you hold that fund. Again, it's driven by math for seven years or so. You, that's you're going to be your annualized return. That's what you're going to return because even though interest rates fluctuate, let's say interest rates went up, the value of that fund's going to fall, but then it's reinvesting at those higher interest rates. So then, over a seven-year holding period, that's your return. And it, I mean, it's a pretty, really, really good estimate. And that's why right now, like, I don't want to own thirty-year bonds and hold them for 10 years and earn 2%
0: annualized. I'd rather own cash or short term bonds. At this point, you know, with the cash, with savings accounts, like online savings accounts being at like 2.2, 2.3%, how is that different?
2: Well, in that case, yeah, you don't want to own bonds. It it makes no sense. If you want to pick up cash, put it in, you can get a money market account or your savings account and get 2%, then you -hmm. can ignore the bond market altogether. And that ends up being your safe piece.
1: And do you think that because the the yields on those two things are kind of similar, is that what is inverting the yield curve, or is that... Well, it, what an
0: inverted yield curve is, it's when those longer-term rates are lower than the shorter-term rates. So they're looking it, at this and thinking like, well, what are they going to buy? They want to buy long-term bonds rather than short-term bonds.
2: Well, yeah, they're saying, okay, the Fed's going to be cutting interest rates. I think interest rates are going to fall. I'll buy long-term bonds. Hoping, I mean, you don't buy a long-term bond if it's the same. You get the same income or yield as a short-term bond, unless you believe interest rates are going to fall further, and you'll get the capital appreciation.
0: Okay, and they don't think it's going to fall further.
2: Well, you don't know. I mean, people that buy long-term bonds thinks it will because if it falls farther, the thirty-year Treasury goes down to one percent, then they're going to make forty percent on their bonds. The reason why the yield curve gets the inverted yield curve. And all the inverted yield curve means is longer-term rates are lower than shorter-term rates. People freak out about it because it's been a good indication, a precursor of a a recession. Because typically, before a recession, the bond, the the yield curve inverts because the central banks are cutting rates, short-term policy rate during the recession.
1: Okay. So the central bank is cutting rates because I want people to borrow money. They want them to take mortgages out, buy new cars, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And the central bank knows when they lower the rate that X, Y, and Z happen. Um, So the inverted yield curve is just... uh, I'm confused why people say that is a doomsday type indicator. It seems like it's almost bound to happen when the central reserve yeah. does right. When, these the, yeah, things. when the federal bank. Yeah. And so it's not like it just happened as a ominous sign. Like the F- central bank literally made it happen,
0: but isn't, but aren't the, like, isn't the fed basically lowering interest rates because there are problems because the economy isn't a stimulated and that's their, their tool to stimulate well, the right. economy. And they is.
2: but, the, there's not that many problems. They, they talk about it being an insurance cut. I mean, the bond, in some ways, they they work in tandem, right? The bond market thinks the Federal Reserve is going to lower rates, even though the Federal Reserve hasn't indicated because the bond market thinks the economy is slowing more than the, than the central banks believe it is. And then, then the central bank ends up cutting the rates. But if you look at their recent, you know, they just cut it yesterday, and Chairman Powell was very close vest in terms of what they're going to do next. He said, we decided to cut at this meeting, but we have no idea. Maybe we're going to cut it more if the economy continues to slow. But there's not, if you look at some of the leading economic indicators other than the inverted yield curve, you know, most there's not huge signs of recession other than for whatever reason, everybody is talking about it. Like your typical person on the street is now waiting for this recession to hit, but there's not, that met, there's not much, you know, in terms of unemployment rates, still super low. The number of people that are applying for unemployment isn't skyrocketing. People are still buying stuff. Retail sales are good. And so it's just the bond market and people thinking for whatever reason that doomsday is coming. <sighs> so well, everyone
1: ass- has assigned like all of this value to the inverted yield curve. Like when this happens, a recession happens. And- you're saying that everyone has kind of decided that a recession is happening, but you don't think that beyond the inverted yield curve that there's a lot of reasons. Not to right support now, no. no.
2: I think the economy I mean there's a difference between a slowing economy and a contraction. Mm. Right? That economic growth has slowed around the world, which means it's growing at two percent, not three percent. Sure. That's not a contraction where, you know, it it's not growing as much. So when we're talking about the economy growing, we're talking about the measure is gross domestic product, which is the value of the output goods and Mm -hmm. services produced. Mm -hmm. So if they produce less goods and services over a period of quarters, then you have a recession and then they lay people off. Unemployment goes and that, but you have to realize that people are still stunned by the great recession. So they've been looking for the next recession for 10 years. Now we've been in the longest recovery and there's people say, "Well, you know, we're due for a recession now because it's been ten years." Well, economic contract or economic progress doesn't die of old age; it dies based on human behavior. Right. Now, I,
1: I have a good counter thought to that, and and I really <laughs> don't know anything about anything, but uh, <laughs> that's why we do this podcast <laughs> exactly. So, so we could ask people like you, David, <laughs> what the hell's going on. Uh, I read that you know there are a lot of countries that have negative interest rates, like Germany, for example, Mm -hmm. where if you bought their bonds, you would literally have to pay (laughs) the German government to own them. That sounds insane, ridiculous. I I think I even read maybe that it hasn't really happened ever before. Why? uh,
2: So let's go back to how bonds are priced. So as interest rates fall, the price goes up. So people Buy more I mean the more you pay for a bond the lower your interest rate or yields going to be and so what's happened in Germany is when the central bank now here the policy rate in, in for the Federal Reserves well they just lowered it to 1.75 to 2 percent in Germany or in the European Union it's zero in fact it's negative slightly negative so the banks that store money at the central bank are paying the central bank to keep money there so that's when they that policy rate is negative. And then the market has assumed that they're going to keep it negative for a very long time, if not lower it. And so that has bled through and, or, to, or flown through to the total bond market to where the 30-year bonds in Germany have a yield close to zero or negative. Hmm. Now, they're not, they're not issuing bonds. like New bonds are not issued at that negative yet, except France did it once. What's happening is they might have had a bond out there that was yielding 1%. The start, you know, that I was paying an interest payment every six months of 1%. Yeah. And people bid it up so high that now it's yield. So let's say they bid it up to $105, and you're only going to get $100 back at maturity, you're going to lose money. And so it's priced to have a negative yield. It, they're not necessarily issuing it with what's uh, known as the coupon rate of negative. France did it earlier this year, it's like negative 0.1%. So the bond market is pricing. Negative so, yield because there isn't a there isn't a functionality. Yeah. Think about it. If it actually had, if it, somebody issued the government issued a thirty-year bond with a negative yield, they would have we'd have to be setting money in every six months government. to them. Yeah, you, so, there's no mechanism to do that.
1: Well, yeah. here's the thing. Yeah. I understand why the rates are negative because basically what's happening is the government's like, no, we need you to spend money and drive economic growth, right? Right. But what what I don't understand is why are people buying? These things that have negative yields. And I don't know if this plays into the larger picture of the inverted yield curve or the weird things are happening. But like one, why are people buying these negative yielding things? And how does that play out broadly? And
2: well, they know? they they buy they're willing to buy them because they believe that yes, maybe it's negative 0.2%, but they believe it might go to negative 0.6%. And if it's a longer-term bond, then they'll they'll make ten percent. So they get the price appreciation if interest rates fall further. So that's the first reason. The second is there are people that own bonds that are price insensitive. They just they have to own them because they have to keep so much of their let's say a bank. and They have to keep some assets and safe assets, and that's just a, the cost of holding a safe asset.
1: Like so if you, you dip- had a Betterman account that was forty percent bonds, Betterman has to make sure you have well, forty percent. right, money yeah. So bonds. Betterman, or
2: you know, banks because they're lending money, they have to keep a capital buffer, and they there's different tiers of how safe the different buffers are. So the one tier is is one of the highest tiers is government bonds, so they're willing to own it. Mm. And then the other reason that you could do it, even if rates are negative, if they stay. Like the rates don't change. Like the Japanese bond market has had negative yields for several years now. And if you held, if you bought a ten-year negative-yielding government bond, well, then it becomes a nine-year and an eight-year, and you still pick up a little bit of price return because the seven-year yield is lower than the ten-year yield. So it's called rolling down the yield curve. So I mean, there's ways. It's
1: complicated. It is.
2: There's ways to make money in it, but people mainly buy because they think rates are going to go further fall yeah. further. Uh, then they can make price appreciation.
0: Um, so going back to the yield curve, uh, we are currently like if you look at the yield curve on a on a just the way it, it looks, the yield curve usually points up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? and then it starts to basically turn the other way where the the, the first part of the curve points da- you know, points up and then the, the latter half of the curve points down. Currently, I think we're at a, like a almost like a straight line. Right. Yeah, everything's 2%. Everything's 2%. Has there ever been a yield curve or an inverted yield curve that did not lead to a recession? I don't know if you... Uh, I think there was like once, but here's the thing.
2: When the yield curve has inverted, the recession has come anywhere from one year to three years later. Yeah. So, I mean, it can be a long, long time time. before, yeah. And then what do you get? I mean, the stock market's up 20% this year. Yeah, so, so I mean, there's somebody... other
0: indicators, right? There's th- that's not the sole well, yeah. indicator. No, right? there's there's lots of other indicators. And has is it possible in in where we are right now that we do not? Is it possible to not go into a recession? Is there yeah. an alt- Is there something else we could go into that the inverted yield curve is maybe because maybe the inverted yield curve for the last twenty or thirty years has indicated you know two or three years after the curve is inverted that we go into a recession, but perhaps. After it gets inverted, we don't go into a recession. We go into a something different.
2: Well, it could just be a little lull in terms of slowing economy, and then it picks up again. So no, there's no. It's not a recession
0: is not guaranteed. And And even if it always became a recession, it could be three, four years. But aren't we aren't we using the word recession because we don't want to use the word depression? Or are they two well, different things? I know they're different no, things, well, but like- a, a depression
2: is is a very, very serious recession. Okay. And it typically follows a a very big period of excess. So we had the huge housing bust and- Yeah. And I, mean, I know you saw that in your place in New Jersey, right? Yes, I did. Term- Thank
0: you for remembering. Yeah. Because <laughs> I remember every day.
2: <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you see the level, we don't have that level of excess in the US right now. Households are in much better shape. They've paid down their debt. And so if we get a recession, I mean, it could be a mild recession. It could be two quarters of small contraction and things pick up again. And so well, that, it's not like this huge crisis. So, I mean, that mm. 2008 crisis was so big that yeah. it still freaks people out, just like the Great Depression freaked people out 20 years later. I mean, we're a decade away from that. Sure. 2008. And everybody's still waiting for this huge recession where because it's the only one they remember and it was bad.
0: Right. And so if you look at the, let's call it the Great Recession of 2008, right? hmm Was it really a depression and we just called it a recession? You know, it it could have been a depression. I mean, it, it's all subjective. Like, it But just, no, I think it's spin. It is spin,
2: right? Well, I, w- so I like, wouldn't say, I mean, the depression, you know, the unemployment rate, I forgot what it was. It got up to 29 percent during the Great Depression.
0: Yeah, it was only ten percent. It right. was
2: only ten, twelve percent here. Yeah. It lasted a long, longer. They, yeah, but different.
0: It's a different time. A way different, a different time. time right? But it was, it was definitely like ten percent could be worse today than t- like it could be. It could be equal to thirty percent in the thirties and ten percent in two thousand eighteen or two thousand eight could have been the same.
2: Right, but you need. An instigator. The debt levels, let's say the the overall household mm. debt as a percent of their income, as a percent of the economy, was an all-time high. Since yeah. then, people have paid down debt. They have less debt as a percent of their income, they, and the housing prices are not priced like they were throughout the country. Yeah. And you don't have the the sheer corruption that you saw with the housing. Mm-hmm. Bubble where people were buying two or three homes with no income and yeah you don't, you don't have that. that. I mean, the Big Short we don't exactly we're not that. Well yeah you don't see any of that. I mean the biggest. I mean there are some excesses. Corporations have borrowed way more money than they ever have, mainly to buy back their stock, and so when and the their credit standards are much lax. So you know if we get a severe recession, it potentially will cause some harm in in a well, portion of course, the bond market, what's known as the high yield. Bond market where you have non-investment grade, more speculative companies, you'll probably see much higher defaults. So, I mean, it's not like it's going to be risk free, yeah. But it isn't necessarily going to be like it was in 2008. I mean, the stock market still might fall 30 to 40 percent, which will be a wake-up call for mm-hmm. those that have never experienced that before.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so we'll have to see how. And you know, ex- exchange traded funds are much more prevalent. Nobody know. I mean, the robo advisors weren't there. Right. I don't, you never, nobody, I remember you guys did an episode, oh, wait, it was a long time ago, but I think you were new to Betterment at the time, mm-hmm. and the market had sold off a little bit. And you just, like, people, they thought Betterment was a checking account. And mm. so when it fell
1: 5%, 10%, people just weren't, they're not used yeah. to that. They don't know. What I am interested in, I mean, first of all, I I found all that fascinating, but I, I want to know um, what you, are doing or what you think is going to happen, you know, and the actions you're taking. But yeah, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm trying to do the break format. Yeah, I, I that, appreciate it. Cause I, I, I really thought I was ready
0: to do it at the exact same time and you took it over as if you run this fucking show and I don't.
1: <laughs> Someone's getting a promotion over here.
0: <laughs> oh, oh shit. Oh shit. All right. So yes, uh, after the break, when we come back, cause we have more to talk about. When it comes to bonds and the and the yield curve, but we have to get paid, so we'll be right back after this. Cha-ching! All right, ask that question that you wanted to ask, and I'll even do it slower.
1: Okay, David, what are you going to do with your money? <laughs> what what are what actions are you taking with your money? kind of based on how you see the market, inverted yield curve or not, uh, you seem to not think that a recession is you know immediately imminent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like we've been spending months kind of like postulating, like what is the right move? So I want to hear what you're doing. Well,
2: first off in the bonds, I mean, I have, my bond exposure has been short term for a number of years now because once the Federal Reserve started raising rates where you can get to 2.5%. I was happy with that.
1: So like one, two-year term bonds, like well, Vanguard I, 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 um,
2: It's like an ultra-short-term bond exchange-traded fund. So an mm-hmm. example is the iShares. I own an iShares ultra-short-term bond ETF. It's ICSH. Mm. It's SEC yield. We talk about that. SEC yield is 2.4%. So that's a big portion of, of my bond market. Or bond exposure.
1: You no, know, I. When you say big portion, is that like forty percent, one percent,
2: probably 40 th- percent of my fixed okay. income? Okay. So nope. that's
1: pretty conservative.
2: Just that aspect of it. But I'm a conservative mm. investor, right? So okay. I'm not. I'm not saving for retirement anymore. I mean, I have my nest egg, and I have money for the rest of us. I make enough money for money for the rest of us that I don't have to be trying to grow this huge nest egg.
1: Yeah, I would be more
2: harmed if my portfolio fell fifty percent.
1: If so on for everyone that, to catch up, you retired, and then money for the rest of us was like you unretiring. Well, right.
2: Exactly. So I only have maybe 10, 15% in stocks mm-hmm. overall. A lot of private investment. I in own real estate, not rental real estate, but just real estate in general, in general land. Yeah. So I'm not taking a lot of risk off the table. I mean, I lightened up a little bit last year about this time. But no, I lead a membership community where we have model portfolios and we're we're 10% underweight, kind of the long-term target. So mm-hmm. as things have started to, to slow down, we've taken some risk off the table, but we're not prepared for Armageddon in terms of, or a huge, great financial crisis like we saw, because the indicators aren't
1: there yet. So you, you had mentioned that we did this butterfly episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we did. Uh, and and you took you took a look at the portfolio. What are your thoughts on the golden butterfly, and as it relates to your investments, which it seems like fifteen percent stocks, golden butterfly is twenty percent. You know,
2: I mean, I, I'm in some ways I'm I'm kind of like that, with the exception, like I have, Well, the way I look at it is you want multiple return drivers. So I mean, I have stocks. I, I mean, I have over a dozen different asset classes. The idea behind the golden butterfly is you own four, maybe and they try to offset so you have gold which is very five. volatile five is a five so mm. gold i guess you have tips so inflation protection you have long term bonds you have stocks short
1: term bonds
2: oh yeah short term bonds okay so you have five i mean there's other mechanisms for that i mean but the idea is during recession interest rates usually fall so that'll help your your bonds will go up and your stocks will go down where i the reason why i don't use it and I actually talk about it in my book in terms of how this as a way to go about it is most people aren't comfortable owning five asset classes that are very, very volatile and just owning stocks is hard enough mm-hmm. and kind of owning some cash with that. I remember I had a, a pension fund client and they had very long-term bonds in the portfolio because it matched the liability of the beneficiaries. And as soon as interest rates started going up, like one quarter that the bond fund was down 8%, it's like, why, why do we own this? I mean, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't comfortable with that and people, you have to be comfortable knowing that gold can fall 30% and your bonds can fall 30, 40% and most people that they're just not comfortable doing that. So you kind of have to put it aside and ignore it, but it is, it's a valid way to approach it. The downside, it works much better when you actually get yield. Like I'm not opposed to owning 30 year bonds and I've Mm -hmm. owned them in the past, but I was Bought them when the yield was four percent or four and a half percent, and and then took depreciation when they fell. But if you're not getting paid to take that interest rate risk, if you're getting the same amount as you get in cash, then there's no reason to own long-term bonds, right. other than
0: you think rates yeah. are going to fall farther to offset it. You said uh, the indicators aren't there yet about the recession. What are if you don't think the inverted yield curve is a the, That's one. It's one. It's but there. Yeah, indicators is plural. What are the other ones? Well, I mean, that you're you can look
2: at you can look at the unemployment rate, particularly not just the unemployment rate. You know, is it creeping up? But are you seeing more individuals file for unemployment? You saw that back in two thousand and seven. People are getting laid off from their jobs. They're filing. I was for one unemployment. of those people. Right. Yeah. That's not. Ch- there's no change in that. Right. We're still creating one hundred and fifty thousand jobs a month. Now that's less than 225000 a month, but it's okay. not contracting. It's so that's slowing. an indicator. It's slowing. Another indicator that you'll hear often is what's known as PMI or purchasing manager indices. And these are surveys are done around in the US and other countries. And they ask businesses, how's business? How are your new orders? Are you hiring more workers? What about prices? And the manufacturing aspect of that is just below... Kind of nearing kind of the contraction level, but it hasn't fallen off the cliff like you typically would see prior to a recession. And the non manufacturing is still very much in expansion mode. It's slowed. I mean, it's come down, which is one reason we've reduced risk in my portfolio and the models sure. I
0: run. You're just following all these indicators. But
2: we're not, it's not a situation where we should be overly concerned. And I mean, there's a, a phrase in the markets that say the stock market c- climbs a wall of worry. When everybody's worried about something, often the market will go in the opposite direction. And with everybody very worried about a recession, and you've seen the stock market do very well this year, you've seen interest rates fall, but even in the last week, you've seen them climb again, where that long-term bond ETF has lost 6% in one week as rates have climbed.
1: So there is an indicator called the Schiller PE, I, right. I guess like index, mm-hmm. And um, I guess like just the general P.E., it's just kind of like a broad What's measure PE? of the price to earnings ratio. Got it. So it's like uh, if you were to buy a business, you'd pay a certain amount multiple of the earnings. Okay. Right. And so it's it's kind of that. And this indicator, usually people say it's like how expensive the market is. They look at this and say things are very expensive or things are not. Um it's it's at it's one of its highest points, excluding the year two thousand. That bubble. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you think that really matters? Well, it,
2: it, it does matter. I mean, when you look at any asset class, there's three things you want to look at. You want to look at what kind of cash flow or yield are you getting, be it dividends or interest. How is that cash flow growing over time? You know, are earnings growing? And what are you paying for the cash flow? And in a price-to-earnings ratio is the price you're paying for $1 worth of earnings. Now, they, they, you can look at what's known as the 12-month trailing P.E. So you look at the earnings over the past year, the P.E. of that right now, the price-to-earnings ratio is about 20, 22. You can look at what analysts expect earnings are going to be going forward in the next year. You know, there were about 15. And then you have this Schiller P.E., which is also known as the cycl- cyclically adjusted er, price-to-earnings ratio, and it's based on earnings over the past 10 years. Right now, it's it's at 28.5, which is an all-time high, which to me, when I look at my allocation to U.S. stocks as a percent of my overall allocation, I'm about 20%. The global stock market is 55% U.S. And where I think a lot of investors make the mistake is, is they don't own any non-U.S. stocks. They just assume it's going to be all U.S., and that's a big bet. And even you know, Jack Bogle will talk about that. He says, well, you don't need to buy international stocks because you know they get currency risk, get all these risks. Well, if something's more risky. And if the markets are really efficient, then you should actually earn more mm-hmm. investing in non-US stocks. And plus the PEs are 14 and the yields, the dividend yields 3% versus 2% for the US. So that's why so, I, I, so so I you're bet saying it's an indicator. It,
1: in a, so you're saying international stocks are attractive is that what you're saying yeah right, well they' right
2: they're they're more attractive than. US stocks
1: so because of the the betterments or the Vanguard total stock market funds which represent the. US market everyone's kind of piled in there and left well yeah because
2: you know, they they mainly I think because and I've heard this for years like you don't need to buy you non-us because pepsi has gets their revenue from overseas. You know, overseas well what you care about is what are you paying for them. and if you're getting a lower yield and you're paying more then all things being equal u.s stocks will probably lag non-us stocks over the next decade hmm. but i mean their vanguard has you know their their exchange trade fund vt now that owns the global stock market, including emerging markets. It's it's
1: it's very diversified. It's very, very cheap, but it's 55% U.S. stocks. And so what you're saying is it's not that U.S. companies will not perform well. It's just that investors are so oversubscribed on things like the Vanguard total stock market funds that you, you almost have to look at, at essentially what you said, the other half of the market outside the U.S.
2: Well, right. Or at least step back and think, okay, why am I taking such a big bet in the U.S.? You know, sometimes they say, well, there's currency risk. Well, you can buy a currency hedged non-U.S. stock market and not have any currency risk. So that's why I always want to go back to what's the the three drivers? You know, what's the dividend yield? Well, the dividend yield for non-U.S. stocks is higher. It's 3%. And the earnings growth, let's say it's going to be the same four to 5%. And then the other thing is, will people be willing to pay more or less for that earning stream five or 10 years from now? And, uh, and I would argue that in all things being equal, you know, unless we think the U S is so much greater than everything around the world that, you know, there's a risk that they might not pay as much for U S stocks, you know, given our political situation or, or who hmm. knows what. So I I'd, I'd rather look at the numbers and, right. and, and, Go forward based on that which is another issue with the kind of the fire movement so often we they they sort of just look at historical returns well I, i'm going to earn nine ten percent of my stocks or even eight well that nine ten percent was the reason why it was so high is because dividend yields the income stream was four percent well now it's two mm-hmm. so you got to take off two percent based on a current dividend stream and valuations are much higher. The reason why they earn 10% is because PEs used to be 12. Hmm. Now they're 20. So people are
0: paying more and that shows up in the historical tracker or numbers. Yeah, I mean, it's a big, you have a big swath of data to pull from. And so when you do that, I think it's just, excuse it skews it. It's not accurate in the time that you're alive, right? Well, you have to look at what drove the
2: returns. You can't just, why? And we do that for other things. Why wouldn't we look at, okay, what drove this 10% return? Mm-hmm. And what has to happen for that to continue? And that's one of the things that I, I kind of go through that methodology in my book, just to say, not that we got to sit there and calculate what the returns would be, but at least know what the rules of thumb are sure. that drive returns, because that's going to determine your performance. You know, yeah. it might not be ac- exact, but at least you understand like anything, what are, the, what, what are the drivers, what has to happen to be successful in this particular asset class, be yeah. it bonds
0: or anything else? Um what do you do when when you're someone like me who a lot of this stuff goes over his head, uh, to be fair? I, I, you know, and, it's, and it's, it, it feels like I hear a lot of scientific terms or I hear a lot of math things, like curves and and just like PEs or whatever the fuck you guys are talking about. And then I just go, I'm out. Like I'm just, my brain shuts down and, and I just like, I got betterment. Uh, I think I'm good. Is there something? Is there some sort of action that I should be taking as as an investor in the in, in the stock market and and other things that makes me like not be such a you know turn down the volume, tune it out, pretend like it's not there, just do your thing? Like, is there something I really should be paying attention to in all of this? What's happening? Because I what I hear from this conversation is like, don't fucking worry, because like this is just one indicator of several, and this one lit is 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 not even fully lit yet right and cuz well, it, when it's fully right. lit it will you know we have a year at least of buffer before it actually happens according to historical data but there's all these other indicators that aren't even lit at all so to me all i hear is i have nothing to worry about continue what i'm doing move forward but at the same time i'm hearing all these these acronyms and 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 charts and i want to know like well am i doing the right thing or not
2: well, I, and the simple way to do it is you can ignore most of it, <laughs> right? Some people are, are interested into it, in, into sure. it, but you have to look at your portfolio and say, I have, let's say it's 80% in stocks mm-hmm. and and would my lifestyle be impacted if that was cut in half? So I lost half my money in the stock market and it didn't recover for five years. And if that's not going to impact you, given either the, the size of your portfolio or one's portfolio or their age, then you don't have to worry about it. Unless now you it, let it
0: impact you by well, taking right. that money And then
2: you, then you sell the money at the bottom. Right. But asset allocation is very simple in that sense. How much do I, I got this stuff in stocks. I expect my stocks to earn six and a half percent. I mean, it's that's a reasonable expectation right now for the global stock market over the next 10 years, six and a half percent per year. Okay, I can own 2% in cash. Mm-hmm. My 2 percent's not going to fall in value, 50%. My stocks will. Is there an allocation that I'm comfortable with that I can earn essentially 4 to 5%? Mm-hmm. And that'll keep up and do better than inflation over time. And you can own two funds. You can own VT. You can own the global stock market. Mm-hmm. And you can own ultra short-term bonds or a savings account right now. Mm-hmm. And then you're done. I mean, that, that's all investing. That's as simple that's as, as it simple needs as to as be. be. Yeah. That's now as you get more funds and sometimes people want to invest outside of the public market. So they want to buy some land or they want to do something, but if one's not interested in that, they don't have to do that. Sure. As long as they're comfortable knowing my stock portfolio can fall 50 to 60%. And if it does, will that
0: impact my lifestyle? In the next, how many years? Five.
2: Well, or even in the next year. I mean, if, I mean, really? okay, losing right. half yeah. your money, or the like, near near retirees, they can't afford to lose fifty percent. Sure. You want to be safer because there's no guarantee. Because we we always focus on the U.S. I mean, the Japanese stock market never recovered after it collapsed back in 1989. It's still below. So hmm. there there is. So often we rely on history and say, well, the stock market's always <laughs> right does better than bonds. Well, no, there's times when stock market has trailed the bond market over 25 yeah. years okay and and so we need to scale our exposure to stocks that we can withstand a collapse of the stock market because it's going to happen
0: again we don't know when but is if that you can withstand that then you're fine is that the most volatile thing i need to worry about um like as a robo-advisor or somebody who's in a robo-advisor Yes, I have about like I think it's 80/20. 80% stocks, 20% bonds. I let them sort of set the percentage depending on what they feel because they're definitely smarter than I am, at least I hope so. Um but yeah, if I'm if I'm sitting here like I'm young enough to say like yeah, if 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 my stock if my stocks get cut in half, I'm not trying to take that money out next year or in the next 5 years or even the next 10 years. So I feel like I have the the opportunity to be a little bit more risky. And to earn a little bit more, rather than putting a hundred percent in bonds or even eighty percent in bonds, and so these are my two markets that I primarily deal in. What is you know, and that and that feels, I feel like uh, I'm an investor. At right. least I feel like one, right? The ne- like the next, and I know that stocks are volatile and and bonds are not as much. What is short, the next short term bond. bonds? Short right. term bonds. What is the next thing I should look into? As, as far as, an, you know, okay, I've mastered the robo-advisor. I feel like it's not hard to master. Put some money in, does it for you. Uh, I want to get a little bit more serious about investing. I want to grow my money a little bit more aggressively, but also be conservative. What is something I should be... Are, or just different well, asset know, classes. Mean, yeah,
2: I mean, you're not going to necessarily grow it faster than the stock market. I mean, okay. that, I mean that, there's no magic. I mean, sometimes people want to own... You no, know, yes, I, so. se- I segment... What's known as an investment, which has a cash flow like stocks or bonds, you have speculations where it's just driven by price. So I own five percent of my assets in gold. Right, I bought some gold coins. I mean, mm-hmm. just in case, you know, the, the world just completely. Oh, literally, apart. you
0: have the fucking coins. All right. Yeah. Okay.
2: okay. And I mean, you can buy them, and it's and it's. You know, yeah. Maybe we get. You know, inflation comes in super high. You know, maybe you buy a piece of land in Colorado yeah. or something like that. Just in case inflation comes in much higher. But there's not, you know, sometimes people want to buy rental real estate. But right mm-hmm. now, real estate's really high in terms of rental real estate. But it's a lot of work too. Mm-hmm. But if That's you tough. own, I mean, if you're owning the global stock market, you're already owning five thousand companies. Right. So there isn't some <laughs> magic asset class that you you're missing. I mean, there's there's niche things that I do, but it's it's not like it's it's that big because I like to invest. Yeah. And you're
1: just interested in it, Right. Yeah. So why, I'm just curious, why did you buy physical gold coins? That I'm guessing you're keeping in an undisclosed location. It's buried somewhere. <laughs> right. In, in in your backyard or front yard um, instead of like, you know, GLD, which is the gold. Well, because
2: the, the biggest difference is, you know, what if we get a situation where the, the financial market completely shuts down? and you can't get access to your money. Probably pretty low probability,
0: but at least yeah. you could. I, I would say could. gold would be worthless at that point. It'd be water.
2: Mm, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. But <laughs> I, I, or I just, it just sort of, I think you sh- we should have pockets of independence away from, mm, you know, we have, that, yeah. we have some food storage, right? We mm-hmm. own a cabin out mm-hmm. in the woods. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm expecting anything or. Or a doomsday prepper or anything like that. No, a prepper. But I think it makes sense to have things that aren't tied to does digits at some account that if that, for whatever reason, the financial system shut down or got yeah. hacked, a glitch,
0: a glitch, a small glitch. Like on fight club. <laughs> right. Well, that's all Superman, Superman, re- <laughs> Superman. 3. But I mean, the
2: thing with gold yeah. is there is no income. Yeah. And in which case it's worth whatever anybody's willing, willing to buy. I and mean, you can invest in comic yeah. books. I got a friend that wanted to buy issue number two of Batman. Really? 50 grand You buy it thinking somebody's going to, Pay more. You know, we bought some antiques. Maybe they'll go up. Maybe, maybe yeah. not.
0: It's all types. There's all types of investments, not just the ones exactly. that are dig- that are digital or have to do with cash or money. Right. Yeah, they could be. But the,
2: but the workhorse should be cash flow generating assets like stocks and bonds, maybe real estate,
0: but that that's the main ones. Those are the three ones. The three big ones. Yeah. Yeah, and real estate doesn't have to be rental. No, and just
2: no. I mean, right. I mean, I own a big, one of the best performing investments I have this year are what are known as real estate investment trust. So they're the REITs, right? They're up over 20%. Their dividend yields 4%, so twice the regular stock market. And they, they, they got really hit back in, I guess, early 2018. So I doubled my allocation and they've done very, very well since then. But that's a way to get some real estate exposure without using a crowdfunding platform, which you know they have issues and things like that.
0: Hmm. So, I guess with all of this, with the with the idea of learning about bonds, learning about this yield curve thing, Andrew, I'm looking at you. Like, what do we learn here? Like, what do we learn going forward on this show? What are we going to do differently? Because I feel like there's a there's a shift, maybe.
1: You know, I th- I think it's you know. Keep your pants on. There's, there's maybe not a fire. All right,
0: hold on. Let me pull them back up. <laughs> uh, there we go.
1: But uh, I, I I feel like uh, through through the vein of the conversation, and, and David, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of it was things are good, but perhaps you could make some movements to like mitigate future risk. Where right. like, how could it fail? Maybe I could do this, but not so go it, nuts about it. Right.
2: Well, no, I think everyone should be aware of what risk you have in your portfolio. So you, just like you did, you have 80% in stocks, Matt, Yeah. Right? am I prepared for a 40% loss in my portfolio overall?
1: Would you say that's, given that Matt's 35, 36 years old, would you say that is too much of an allocation for stocks? Well, it, it,
2: it depends. It depends yeah, on right. how much money it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's several 5 million. million if it's several million, <laughs> yeah. you know, approaching 10, then it's mm-hmm. probably a little aggressive because you could retire now yeah, right, and, and not worry about it. Yeah. I'll be very high. Yeah. If yeah. it's $50,000, it's not going to be life-changing because you can't live
0: off $50,000 sure. just like you can't live off 25 after So it the more money and the closer you are to like needing it, then the less you need ri- to let, yeah, less risky you got to be. Uh, yeah. And so, so where are you going to take the risk? Well, you're going to
2: look at what's hmm. the yield in cash versus yields in bonds. Right. And and that's why you care about what the yield curve is. Because maybe we'll get to the point where 30-year bonds are yielding 6%. Yeah. And maybe, maybe and cash is yielding 1%. Well, then you're getting paid to take that risk.
0: Right. Right now usually, you're not getting yeah. paid to speculate in interest rates. Right. And that's usually after a recession in this case. Yeah. Well, yeah.
2: right. It could be after a recession because then the Federal Reserve and that's the last time I owned 30 year bonds. Coming mm-hmm. in
1: 2009, mm-hmm.
2: the short term bonds were yielding less than 1%. You could get four to five, four and a half to 5% on 30 year bonds and buy 30 year bonds or yep. Treasury Inflation Protection Securities, which are in the, the golden butterfly. Mm-hmm. They were yielding 3% in 2008, which means you could lock in a a pre-inflation return or a real return of three percent. That was a great time to buy tips. Mm-hmm. Now tips are yielding zero. Hmm. Not so not
0: not as great of opportunity. No. Um, so I think what I've learned personally is I, sh- I have no need to freak out right now. I have no need to take all the money out of the stock market and put it underneath my mattress. Right. Um, I don't have to reallocate things. Uh, or shift anything from what I'm personally doing which is not conservative but also not aggressive Uh, I think that yeah I think if anything I need to diversify slightly more into other things but other than that I don't see you know there's multiple indicators not just the yield curve it's just one and we just happen to be laser focused on it and the media happens to be laser focused on it and so I don't know. I just think like, uh, you know, yeah, we all, we, I think you, you said it best in earlier in the episode is like 2008 was just 10 years ago. We're all still sort of like, we feel the burn from it, you know? And like, if you look at the great depression and how long it took to go from the great depression to the great recession, that's a lot of fucking years, you know? Right. Right. And so I think we just had a, we got burned in our lifetime. Which is uh, unfortunate, but we're reeling from that, and so of course, when you get burned once, like I expect nine eleven to happen every year. I really do. Oh, it, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, when's it? When's the next one? Well, exactly. I mean, I I was well, I was
2: in New York on nine eleven. I'm not yeah. just like a couple of weeks ago, right? And the guy I was meeting oh, right. with, he was still emotionally like every he asked the question like, when will it stop feeling like it feels every time nine mm-hmm. eleven comes around? Mm-hmm. he still feels it
0: and, and you right you'll never leave and i think that that's why we're seeing a lot of this in the media with this real yield curve being an indicator obviously or one of the indicators and so
1: perhaps and we have to realize that's us because we live through it yeah i was talking to a friend who's a teacher and uh she teaches kids who are born after that right and they learn about 9-11 like they would learn about the plymouth rock <laughs> it's just it's just <laughs> history like yeah, it's, it's not amazing. like it is for us
0: yeah amazing you know it's like you know I, i'm sure like when's the next president going to get assassinated who knows you know like it, <laughs> it's so fresh like it, it's happened twice now when's it going to happen again mm. you know well, and,
2: and what i don't know is there is like i don't remember i was managing money institutionally at 2007 2006 mm-hmm. i think the, the media is way more focused on this stuff than they used to be but i don't know yeah i mean they must be well, yeah, People talk about it more. Well, everyone's because interested I think they it. were they were caught flat footed, I think, or surprised
0: in in 2008. Just, well, I so think, now everybody's focused on it. Well, think about it, too. Every a lot of things have changed. Right. So before I think before 2007, not a lot of people were in the stock market in the, in the, in the US economy. Right. But now 2008 happened. Right. A lot of people lost their shirt. Here we are. The, the, the market rates were super low this is when all the Robo advisors and technology sort of like caught up now a bunch more people are in the stock market than before and and they're all reading the financial news is probably more uh, financial ind- institutions that are teaching this stuff are probably all doing better because no one everyone's trying to protect themselves from what happened in 2007 eight right so yeah, here I, we don't are, th- I don't think I don't think more people are in the stock market
2: today than New you don't were think back, no even with I the Robo advisors it- no, because people just would own an account at Vanguard. I think robo and robo advisors' assets. I remember when they started coming out. Yeah. Back in 2012. Yeah. I and mean, even yeah. now, I think collectively robo advisors, what maybe they have 10 billion dollars mm-hmm. total assets compared to the, the overall stock market, which is 30 trillion. I mean, they're so there's really yeah, small. Blip. They're just yeah. they're just tend to be big. In the personal finance blogger podcaster space, <laughs> right? One because you know they pay a nice affiliate commission, sure, and two they've done a good job networking and teaching people, and it have been a great learning tool to get people invested mm-hmm. in the stock market. But when they first came out, they made it. I would it used to laugh because we thought about doing a robo advisor back in the day, and they always mm-hmm. acted like this modern portfolio theory they had just invented it. Right? Right. Well, people have invested in that way for forty years, but we're right. using modern portfolio theory for yours. Great, you bought five ETFs. Yeah, Good job. Right, you know, you're earning your twenty basis points.
0: And, and but it's you, got. Do you think people need to graduate from robo's and doing it themselves?
2: Uh, no. I mean, if they're comfortable with them, I and you just yeah. recognize you're paying a fee. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't even know what their fees are now. But right. It if it's easy I and mean, they've got a nice technology interface. Yeah and it keeps people invested so they're not worried about it. So right. they've done a good job. It'll be interesting to see how the model works out when the stock market does fall. Yeah. 50% sometime. Mm-hmm. Who knows when, who knows when, no, you no. see what people react and realize yeah. that mean, I, you know, my sense, you know, it's been what six years since listen, money matters, you know, way more yeah. about how you're what's in that robo advisor account than you do now than you did back then. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: That's true. um, well, with all that said, thank you for coming on the show, David. Again, oh, appreciate it. Yep. We mm-hmm. want to have you back as many times as possible. Where can people learn more about what you're doing? Obviously, there's Money for the Rest of Us podcast. You have your site, moneyfortherestofus.com. Is there is there anything else you want to... Um, no, I mean, the main thing uh, is, uh, as I mentioned,
2: the, the book, Money for the Rest of Us, the idea is, here are 10 questions. There's an investing framework. Annie Duke, who wrote uh, the, the, I'm trying to remember what's the forward. No, Annie. Did, yeah. She wrote, she endorsed the book. So yeah. have you had her on her, on your show? No, I think no. so. Thinking of Bets is the name of her book. All okay, right, But she says it's, this is a great investing framework, not only for making investment decisions, but also making life decisions. So it's really a, a framework, a checklist. You should answer these questions before you invest in anything in that. And you can more information on that at money rest of us, book.com. And you can get it as an ebook and a physical book, or is it just an ebook? Uh, no, it'll be a physical book, hardcover. It'll be ebook and an audiobook. Cool. Will it be
0: available in stores?
2: Yeah. So cool. Yeah, stores. All the Barnes and Noble, Amazon. S- sweet. So hopefully your local are, bookstore if they order it. Yeah.
1: Are, are Matt and I getting special <laughs> copies? <laughs> special <signed laughs> copies.
2: Uh, if you send me your address, I will send you
0: uh, copies. Yeah. And when's the book come out? October twenty fifth. Okay. You'll sign it. Yeah, yeah, I'll sign it. And we're just trying to make collect. We're trying to collect, you know, you know, things that will be worth more in the future to protect our. <laughs> it, we just, we're just, we just need a good asset class, you know. And we, th- and we think your book's part
2: first of it. edition of, bo- of uh, a yeah. for
0: foresta yeah. it. It could signed,
2: be. signed. It could be a signed, right? It's yeah, probably will be the equivalent of bat Batman number two.
0: There, there years from now, so yeah. You know. No,
2: yeah. yeah.
0: Send me your address, and I'll, yeah, I'll definitely send you one. Cool. My address is, oh, sorry, not on, I'll do it off air. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, thank you for coming on again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. And if you missed anything, there was a lot we discussed here. We'll have everything in the show notes as per usual. Either check your preferred podcast app or you want to visit listenmoneymatters.com slash show. And please subscribe wherever you normally listen to podcasts and tell your friends about us. Point them to your favorite episodes and hopefully they'll become a subscriber too. I think this is a good episode to point people to especially if they're freaking out about a looming recession. Um, If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss on future episodes of the show, please email us, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And of course, all the tools and resources that we normally mention on this show are available at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. That's it. Later, Andrew. Later, man.